the value of investments can fall as well as rise and losses may be made. In the first few months of this year, we saw a lot of event-driven related questions. So around regional banking crisis, around the debt ceiling, around the looming threat of recession. But one question that we've been receiving more consistently, and arguably for a longer period of time, is around fixed income, the challenges that bonds are facing, and what that means for portfolio construction. Um, And, you know, last year we saw bonds and equities sell off at the same time. This year we saw the Swiss regulator prioritise equity in front of 81s. And so clients are starting to question, can they still rely on fixed income for that particular set of characteristics within their portfolio? Or do they need to think about something else? And I think often they can't get quite comfortable with the idea that something else can deliver them that bond outcome. But ultimately, that what they've got right now and what they've been relying on for a number of years isn't really working anymore. So what is our view? Has there been a structural change? Or can we, still, can we still rely on fixed income to deliver on that set of characteristics? I think that's the key point, that, that fixed income doesn't have one set of characteristics. So take equities as your north star, because they typically are the most volatile part of a portfolio. Relative to those equities, your bonds will have a different relationship, we think, dependent on the inflation environment. So the last 10, 20 years, we had falling inflation, And we had central banks generally trying to stimulate to keep that inflation up. And as a consequence of that, you saw a negative correlation manifest between bonds and equities. But if you go back further historically, as I'm sure many clients will be aware, there have been periods of time, long periods of time, where there's been a positive correlation between the two assets. There was that again last year. I would divide the future into the cyclical, i.e. relating to this cycle, and the structural going beyond that. And the structural view we have is that because of forces such as demographics, so the changing nature and ageing of populations, the intensity of investment required uh, to combat climate change, the change in nature of China relative to the rest of the world in terms of the supply of workers, etc., there's going to be a more inflationary impulse. And I'm not saying that we're going to rerun 2022 levels of inflation, but I think we, we, we look above that 2% level on a more structural basis. So central banks are, are fighting to keep inflation down generally. And then there's a higher correlation between bonds and equities. What is the alternative then? What, what, what else can deliver that outcome for clients? So I think you need to be inventive. And ultimately, if you, if you were putting portfolios together over the last 20 to 30 years, you probably thought about them in terms of your fixed income and your equity component. And there were varying risks within some of those fixed income assets, as there always have been. So that's one thing we probably should discuss, which is the the granularity within the fixed income asset class of different behaviours. But ultimately, you thought about a few sets of drivers. And I think what inflation being higher shows you is that actually you need to cut your portfolio up in a slightly different way and then think about how that could impact. And the consequence of that for us is to think beyond bonds in generating a fixed income-like return, which sounds sort of fairly complicated. But what I mean by that is if you look within equities, there are a number of securities which behave much more like a a fixed income asset than some bonds will. So if you take a very lowly rated high-yield bond, its risk of default will rise as financial stresses increase. And, And I would point out that cyclically, we still believe financial stresses are increasing. But For example, you take a consumer staples company or a healthcare company, something like a Johnson & Johnson, you've got six decades of consecutive dividend increases. And to us, that actually looks like a coupon. And even better than that, it looks like a real coupon. But whilst whilst that's true, and yes, you are seeing those dividend per shares increase year on year, and that is valuable to to investors 
they're still in equity. They're still in equity. They've still got yes. that equity-like risk. Y- yes, no, and that that's fair. So I'm not going to try and say, you know, right. Instead of you buying a two-year Treasury or a gilt, you could, for the same level of risk, own Johnson Johnson. Uh, that's fair. But I think you can put it together in a portfolio and manage those risks. So, for example, if you own Johnson and Johnson, but you are hedging your equity risk lower, then you're going to get a set of performance characteristics from that. Um, it's going to behave a bit more defensively. And then actually, I think there are some things which are equities, which really don't behave like equities at all. So I'm thinking about infrastructure trusts here, the likes of Hickel and BBGI and so on. They have their own negatives, which we can, we, we can go on to. I think the main of those is probably liquidity and, and holdings registers being, being concentrated. But ultimately, these are often government-linked contracts, so very secure, bond-like in that nature, uh, frequently inflation-linked. And so ultimately, they behave in a less correlated fashion to other equities, but because they're classified as an equity, some investors won't hold them. And I, I think that's the wrong approach. It's thinking about the label instead of the behavior. But what you should really care about, to your initial point, how do I get something different in my portfolio to my equities if correlations are structurally higher? And that's what you have to do, I think. You think about the security level, and then you manage the risks that come with those. And yes, they might be different to the past, but there are tools available for you uh, to do that. Just on the point around infrastructure, um, because yes, Agree. They have kind of government-linked cash flows, so the drivers are different. They're giving you something that's that's, that's different and arguably a little bit more defensive. But to your point around liquidity, I think what what clients want from bonds is providing that defence when it matters. Yes. And so if we look back at some of the you know equity market drawdowns that we've seen, let's say like March twenty twenty as an example. Because of the the lack of liquidity, and because at that time cash became king and everyone ran for the door you saw listed infrastructure sell off like an equity. Yes, yes, true. So how do we how do we kind of f- explain that for clients because they want the de- they want the bond defensiveness and they want it when it matters. Yes. I mean actually that raises another probably good point which is uh, it's not new that fixed income assets don't defend in drawdown. I mean even in the last 10 years, 2018, 2020, 2022 and 2008 and, and 2008 <laughs> sorry yeah a bit further back than 10 years ago but, um, <laughs> no, true, true. <laughs> <laughs> but you go back to uh those episodes there are numerous examples of fixed income uh, of yields rising uh, during those periods um it's true actually of some government bonds it's very true of corporate debt investment grade and high yield so that comes to that granularity point elf you can't just say well it's a bond and it will therefore behave in a certain way particularly when it comes to corporate debt, because ultimately in the capital structure, it's sitting next to equity. And therefore, when things start to go wrong, it's going to behave in a similar fashion. Um, But to the point of managing that liquidity risk, I think the other thing which is important is to have a cautious mindset. So if you put in a Johnson & Johnson to your portfolio, treat it more as you would an equity. If you're putting in an infrastructure name, probably sit it somewhere between a, a, a high yield bond and an inequity. Um, but also then think outside of the, your traditional means of diversifying. So I think options actually make a very strong impact on portfolios. I think you don't use them all of the time, but when there's the opportunity to add to them, when volatility is low, such as it is currently, actually, I think they can be a, a structural part of portfolios. And again, it's adding somewhat to the complexity. But when the circumstances change, it demands that you, you move with that, I think. We've talked a lot about the long term. Uh, maybe just to bring it back and think about the near term, because anyone who's listened to the previous podcast know we've talked a lot about recession and yeah. expecting that to occur towards the back end of this year, early next year. Does that cyclically, do bonds, and more of a near term view, do bonds still play a role? Yeah, I mean, that's where the, the granularity of 
what's meant by fixed income comes in. So government debt in developed markets, I think, could perform pretty strongly in that context, um, where you have a recessionary uh, environment manifest itself and, and rate cuts come through. I think corporate debt is a significant risk in that context, because if defaults rise only slightly, your capital losses could be meaningful. And what we've also seen actually in recent defaults is that the recovery rate is much lower than it has been in the past. So the market's assumption of what it actually would even get back in a default cycle could be wrong. So I think a lot of caution on the corporate side of things. Um, spreads aren't wide enough to compensate you for the risks of a growth slowdown, let alone a recession. And I think more positivity towards developed market government bonds. The big risk though, again, is that we're wrong on inflation. Our view is that inflation is going to come down and continue to. If we're wrong about that, I think the whole cycle could prove to be much worse. But for now, we're still seeing inflation coming off. What about cash? I think, you know, if investors want to build caution into their portfolio, given where rates are, should they just be moving into cash? I think it's completely undeniable um, that cash is a much more appealing investment, if you can call it that, than it has been for a long time. And ultimately, if you can get a decent risk-free rate, then it's very difficult to argue back against that. The only things I would say is, one, that there's an opportunity cost potentially, i.e. if you buy even a short maturity bond and want to then participate in a different asset class later, you ultimately may have to realize a loss on that unless you're holding it to maturity in order to do that. And the second related, I think, to that is you've seen this year already how having a slightly more aggressive mindset can when risk managed, actually deliver you a very strong return. So, you know, you can have you can have delivered the return on cash in only a few months this year that it's going to take cash a couple of years to do. So there's there's two things I think it's you'd have to you have to lock into that and be prepared actually to to hold it to maturity and you have to be mindful that there's an opportunity cost too. Okay, thank you very much. I think I think that's all all really clear, but perhaps just just to summarize, I think we are, you know, structurally um seeing a higher inflationary cycle which will bring challenges to bonds will bring uh, it will make it difficult for bonds to consistently be defensive to counter equity risk and therefore it's important to not rely on fixed income to have those consistent characteristics and actually it's dangerous to do so but to kind of think more broadly and trust that other alternatives can deliver that outcome that bonds have once done. And although, yes, there may be some upside to fixed income in the near term in this kind of more recessionary backdrop, that over the long term, we do need to de-anchor um, from what we've been I holding so. on to for the last 40 years. Yes. This podcast is a marketing communication and is provided for general information only and assumes a certain level of knowledge of financial markets. It is not an invitation to make an investment and should not be construed as advice. The views in this podcast are those of the contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily reflect those of 91. In South Africa, 91 is an authorised financial services provider.